One's from the trailer park, one's from the farm. Rings on their fingers, no babies on their arms. Taking life with a grain of salt and lie. Living, loving, laughing. We're having a good time. Nothing too deep won't tell you how to vote. Two stand-up comics with stories from the road. We're cutting up. All right, we got a hot podcast coming up. We got uh, Dusty takes a private jet, Hannah goes to Canada, and we have special guest Jessica Watkins. This is the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name's Dusty Slay, and this is Hannah Hogan. Thank you so much for that awesome introduction, Dusty. Yes, Hannah is back with us, fresh out of Canada. Yeah. And we've been having a good time this week. Yeah, I I have reports from the north. Canada. Yes, she has some stuff to talk about, uh, but I do want to just go ahead and plug that the second we're going to do our regular podcast in the second half will be my interview with Jessica Watkins. Jessica Watkins walked from Delaware to California on her feet, and she's going to tell us about it, and Jessica does comedy. so you She know. lived to tell the tale. Yeah, so it all ties in. It's all very fun, so we're going to get into that later. First... Maybe we just jump right into uh, where we've been, where we're going. Where they going? Where they been? Where they going? Where, where they been? Where we're going, where we've been. All right. So, Hannah, you, had, you, you were gone last week. We talked about uh, the stuff that you were doing, but maybe you have some, uh, some insight on, on more about... I don't have any insight. I am lost. I'm just okay. a, a oh, weary actually, traveler. Actually, you know what? Uh, you did stuff this past weekend. Yeah. You did two shows of Connor Larson's. Yeah. Which were great shows. Yeah, I had a really fun weekend. I was mostly local, you know. For me to drive two hours and do a show on Saturday night and drive back is basically, to me at this point, feels like a local show um, because I travel so much. But on Thursday and Friday, I did two shows in Nashville produced by our friend Connor Larson and they were so fun. Very good. He's been doing very good shows. Yeah. I like what he's doing and it looks good for for our local scene. Uh it's providing good stage opportunities for people. Yeah, shout out to Connor. I mean, he's really crushing it out there. He's putting together great shows, good audiences, hip shows. You yeah. know what I mean? Hip people wearing red lipstick and chokers, you know. Yeah. And if you're an audience member, You'll love going to these shows. So if you see Connor Larson putting on a show, go see it. If you're a comedian, uh, go do it and then be good and funny. Yeah. Don't show up to a comedy show and not be funny. Okay? Mm -hmm. Don't do it. 
Right. At least be interesting if you're not going to yes. be funny. So you did one at the Yazoo Brewery. I did one at the Yazoo Brewery and Urban Winery. Okay. And, uh, all in East Nashville. And that was really fun. And, you know, honestly, it's kind of nice to do 10-minute sets because so often I'm doing anywhere from 20 to 50. And uh, I don't know. I like to just do the hits like bam, 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 like a fusillade. Like just hit them with it, you know. Yes. And also get kind of weird because, you know, when you do brewery shows in more kind of hipster neighborhoods, it's it does have more of that alt vibe. And I kind of like that, you know. I get to get to be a little wild. I get to do a little crowd work. I've been actually doing a lot of crowd work lately. I don't really know what that's about. I love um, to get weird when I can. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. It's fun know, to get weird. I know I don't let you be weird in our home. So, you yeah, know, you got to get it where you can get it. Yeah, you know, it's fun to be weird. It is. And then you went where after that? So then I went to Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and I did a show at Flywheel Brewing, and uh, a guy named Zach Newton produced that show. And actually, he he saw me when I opened for Kyle Kinane at Zany's in January, and I guess he really liked my comedy. I don't know what's wrong with him, but um, he really liked my comedy, and so he brought me out there to put on a show in Elizabethtown in Kentucky. So... I got to kind of bring the show, so I brought my friends uh, Benton Ray and Mary J. Berger here from Nashville, and we just drove up there and did a really fun show. It was really, really fun. Um, he packed it out. It's one of those cute little kind of small town breweries. The whole town came out. Everyone was drinking. He gave us a nice little green room setup. It was a good stage. I believe he recorded our audio as well. And it was really fun. Mary J. hosted, and she, like, host, I mean, she went up first. And then Benton, and then he was great. And then I went up there, and I did, uh, I don't know, 45, 50 minutes. And, you know, did all the did all the classic bits. But I also did a lot of improv. I've been trying to kind of play around with that. I've been sort of uh, flirting with the idea of trying less. Like, not trying as hard on stage. Because, like, lately I've just been like, I don't want to... Because sometimes I can be really high energy on stage, and I'm just sort of like, you know what? They don't deserve this. Well, that's <clears throat> that's what I, I think that there is a fine balance in between. Like, uh, I'm gonna try real hard. Uh, oh, <clears throat> I think that it can get confusing, right? If you say, "Oh, I'm not gonna try," then people think that you're not putting in the work and the effort. And it's like, that's not what I mean. It's like, you know. Oh, that's what I mean. Well, I mean, you you, you just don't want to. Like, you want to try, but you don't want to look like you're trying yeah. too hard. Yeah, and to be clear, I try really hard. I try very hard. I'm a very hardworking, try-hard, goody-two-shoes kind of girl. So I feel like sometimes that over-preparedness or the anxiety attached to, you know, a perfectionist mentality of, like, this has to be perfect. I have to do it right. I have to do a good job. Like, all those things I say to myself, I just don't. I don't think they always help me, and I think I'm funniest when I'm like, you know what, I'm funny, and if you don't think that I'm funny, then, you know, that's your problem. Right. And also kind of my problem, but mostly their problem. Well, you're only going to be, you just do what you can do, and then the more comfortable you become yeah. on stage, then more things come out, and you have more fun, and, and because you're a funny person, and when you feel more I am a funny person. And when you feel more comfortable being yourself. Yeah. Then that natural funniness comes out. 
Well, we've discussed this philosophically a little bit, Dusty, but the concept of being yourself is one that isn't so straightforward to me because, you know, I got a lot of different moods. You know, I'm kind of a bitchy, sarcastic Hannah, then I'm also sweet, docile Hannah, then I'm bubbly, then I'm kind of shy. You know, there's a lot going on. Like, what do I bring to the stage, though, you know? But I don't mean it in that way, in this way of, there's a lot of Hannahs floating around in there. (laughs) I don't mean it in that way. I mean it in the sense that... Self-care tips, taking care of you. You know, like when I took improv, my improv teacher, Greg Tavares, used to tell me that he said, you know, you you, you create a good improv scene. You You establish your character. You establish your environment. And then you try to create a scene, and the natural funniness of you as a person will come out. And the scene will be funny rather than just running out on stage, being as goofy and silly as you can be and trying to get laughs. Don't try to get laughs. The laughs come. Now, it's a little different with stand-up because you're not out there on stage to create a scene. Yeah. You're out there to make people you're laugh. Like, this is my premeditated act that I have prepared Right, but for but, this presentation. But I do still think a lot of those principles hold true. Like the more relaxed and the more comfortable you are on stage, and that can't come, you know, you can't manufacture it. It just comes with time. Yeah. All right, so, and then that's where you've been. Elizabethtown, Kentucky is where you did the brewery. And this weekend I went to Lowell, Arkansas to the Grove. Now this is my third time at the Grove. And I love it. I love going. This was this was my favorite time, I think. Um, Dan Whitehurst went with me. I'll talk a little bit more about our adventure to get there later. But at the Grove, I mean, Bill that runs that, uh, Bill and Rhonda, they're great. I mean, they came to Nashville, and we hung out with them on Sunday night. We went out to some bars. We went out to Robert's, had a good time. Hannah, Hannah had a few whiskeys, and uh, <laughs> it was a good time. I did have a few whiskeys, and the thing that we discovered about me with whiskey, and I, I know it's shocking because I live in Tennessee and I don't really drink whiskey, but I just decided to go for it, drink some whiskey on Sunday night, and whiskey made me feel sober. Yeah, she seemed uh, very, I mean, she did a <laughs> shot, and I thought, oh, this is dangerous. And then she was fine. I mean, me on five whiskeys, I mean, I am partying. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I was like calm, and I was like the mediator, and I was thinking clearly on whiskey. <laughs> like, I was like, "This is my Irish blood right now." Yeah. Just being like, we've been waiting. We had a good time. We hung out at Roberts for about two hours, three hours, yeah. just listening to the bands. We but had such a good time. We had a good time, but but at the Grove, I mean, I just want to say, I mean, this was their one year anniversary at the new location. The first time I went was the old location. I had a great time. Then I went back right as the new location opened. And I had fun, but, you know, it was new. The crowds were small. This time we did four shows, packed houses. Uh, It was very fun. I loved it. Me and Dan both had great set. I mean, Dan, Late Show Friday, Dan crushed it. He made me work. and uh, But it's really fun. I mean, I was doing... You know, about an hour, 55 minutes to an hour on stage every night. Feels good. The staff is great. The audiences are great. Bill's great. Yeah. I mean, I recommend comics go to the Grove. I mean, I think, I mean, Bill definitely, since he owns his own club, he's not uh, in a in a financial bind. Uh, he gets to run it the way that he wants to run it. And I think that that has... Uh, got him some kind of a reputation amongst some comics 
where they'll say, oh, that Bill was an interesting guy, but Bill is great. Bill's always taking care of me. It's like if you just do things the way Bill wants you to do it, you're going to have a good time. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it was fun. Me and Dan had a great time, and uh, and now we're back. Also, I was really afraid for you going in a private plane. Right. Well, I want to talk about the plane on the uh, on the on the road segment. Oh, okay. But yeah, I mean the the but the Grove itself very fun. I love going great. there. Well, we both had great weekends, and thanks thanks Bill and Rhonda and and Dan for hanging out with us on Sunday. We had a really a good frolic and a dance and yeah. a jiggy. And we stay in a cabin. The condo is a cabin out in the uh, mountains of Northwest Arkansas near a lake. One night, one night, a deer, or one day, a deer just come running through the yard and stopped, looked at us, and ran off. Now, you remember when I was at the Grove in January, and the headliner went home early, so I had to sleep there by myself at night? Yeah. And I was very nervous that I I was going to get murdered, so I barricaded the whole house. I put furniture in front of the doors, and I put some bells beside the windows, anything that would wake me up in case an intruder came in, and... You know, that's the reality sometimes out on the road. You're like, this is a desolate area and uh, really feels a little suspicious. Yeah. But I did survive it, although I didn't sleep very well and had to drive eight hours home the next day. But, you know, that's just another week. Shout out to me. Ryan Niemiller for leaving you there alone. Yeah, well, yeah, Ryan <laughs> Niemiller, you know, he didn't want to sleep there because he loves his own bed. And he was just like, you know, Godspeed, Anna. <laughs> but now we found out that Bill lives right across the street, so it's actually fine. I don't know if you should say that, Dusty. On the camera. But they just bought a new place. Oh, okay. So they'll be moving soon. Okay. I like how he said, on the camera. (laughs) 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 On the microphone. I don't think Bill cares if people know where he lives. All right. I didn't give out the address. Okay. All right. So, uh, and then where where are you going? This weekend, you're hanging out. Dude, I am off the road for a bit. Like, I'm working a lot locally in May, but this weekend I have no shows uh, I am going to kick it. I'm going to watch a lot of bad movies. I'm going to listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm going to work out. I'm going to get this booty popping for the spring. Boom. And then tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and fly to Austin, Texas for the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. Yeah. I have two shows uh, tomorrow. I think one Friday and two shows Saturday. And I'll be out there hanging out. And then Sunday, I'm going to get on a plane and fly to L.A. where I'll be for uh, four days. I won't be here next week to do the podcast. You'll have to do that alone. Hmm. And then I'll, because from L.A., I'll fly to Montana, and I'll go to uh, Billings, Montana, Butte, Montana, and Bozeman, Montana. You're a real frontier man. I'm actually very excited about this next couple of weeks because I like Austin. I only got to do one, two shows in Austin with Burt Kreischer, but I'm excited to go back. And then, uh, you know, it's fun to go to L.A., you know, I don't, you know, I, I like to kind of pop in and hang out for a bit. I'll see my friend Danny Green, probably see Evan Burke and uh, my, my friends, and um, and then I'll uh, get out of there. But I've never been to Montana. I've never been to Montana either, but I have a suspicion that you're going to really like it. I'm excited it's about it. It's a lot it. of cow ranchers and right I there. Love, and we're, we're going to do some country music songs Talk about some cowboy songs and some rodeo stuff here coming up. Babe, you should bring your cowboy boots. I should. I mean, you're going to be in Montana, you know what I mean? Yeah. You might want to wear them boots out there. I might. Mm-hmm. All right, so that is the Where We've Been, Where We're Going. And as always, uh, go to 
our websites to see our full calendars, hannahogancomedy.com and dustyslay.com, and then you can see exactly where we're going. So now, uh, let's do... Uh, They're on the road again. Hannah and Dusty are on the road again. Telling super funny jokes to all their friends. Hannah and Dusty are on the road again. Yeah! Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the private jet. So... Yeah, so Bill from the Grove is also a pilot. The owner of the club is also a pilot. And since this was the anniversary show, we have such a good relationship. He wanted to come to Nashville anyway and talk to some people about bringing music to the Grove. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to fly to Nashville. If you want, you and Dan can just jump in the plane with me, and I'll fly you back to the Grove, and you don't have to do the nine-hour drive. So we said okay. And uh, even though I've never been in a, a small private jet, uh, and I have lots of video of it. I put an Instagram story. I may try to do a different video, but to be honest, I have several trips that I've done that I've made videos of that I've never actually edited the video. So who knows if this will make it out either. If there's any Belmont or Vanderbilt students looking for an intern job with people working in show business, holler at us. We'd love to have a little intern. Yeah, I would really love to have someone to edit videos for me. I do a lot of content, but I just get I get bogged down and I don't want to do it. Yeah. So if yeah, if you'd like to, that'd be great. And uh, I have fun stuff that I'm doing. So anyway, so we get on this jet. It's me, Dan, and Bill, and we get it into the jet on. Uh, you know, it's a propeller plane, propeller on the front of the plane. We get in and. When we take off, the windows are all fogged up. I mean, you cannot see anything, and that's freaking me out. And then for a while, that's how the flight is. is. And then eventually we get up above the clouds, and I'm like, well, this is really nice. And then Bill's like, yeah, there's some ice on the windshield. Not that big of a deal. We're just going to go higher, get closer to the sun. It'll melt the ice right away. Then we're flying along. You know, there's a little gusty things here and there, and then the landing uh, was a little like a little shaky, and then I hear Bill say in his headphones that you know he was like, well, he said you know it's really windy, and he was like, he's like maybe he's like that's like the worst landing I've ever had, you know he's like it was very windy, but all in all, very safe, fun flight. We really enjoyed it, and then as we're hanging out over the weekend, uh, more of his pilot friends come to the show, and they were like, oh man, you guys have no idea how dangerous that ice was. And we were like, well, uh, you know, kind of like we'd rather not know. And uh, but, wow. appara- but apparently ice is very dangerous. And Bill was like, he was like, yeah, he said, I cut your headphones off. You don't know what I was saying to the other people about the ice. So, yeah, I mean, ne- whenever I uh, fly up home, sometimes we'll stop over in Chicago. And if it's in the winter, I mean, y- you'll sit there on the runway for a long time when they're dethawing the plane and they're they're trying to get rid of the ice. Yeah. Dang. See, that's what's terrifying is all these little details that you just don't really find out about till later. But then the flight back was a super sunny day. Very nice. It was clear the entire trip. I could see everything the whole time. It was amazing. Uh, Bill's wife came, Rhonda, and she sat in the passenger seat. Me and Dan sat in the back. And any time the plane was getting shaky... Or like uh, a lot of turbulence. We would look up at Rhonda. And she's just like reading a book. We're in the back terrified. And she's just reading, hanging out. Because she's flown with Bill many times. So 
She also has the comfort that she gets to die with her husband. Yeah. But it was very fun. The whole thing was great. And yeah, see, I was worried that you were going to have some sort of a Aaliyah or a Buddy Holiday situation. Because that's what you hear about more in North America. I mean, you hear about flights falling off in Malaysia and uh, Africa and stuff. You don't hear a lot in North America and Canadian and American airwaves, you know. So right. commercial flights, generally speaking, you know you're going to be fine. But it's those private planes that you hear more stories about in America. Yeah. I don't, you know. JFK Jr. situation, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I don't have a lot to say about the flight because it was it was uneventful. I mean, we get in the plane, we go up, then we land. I mean, it's the same as any other flight except it was a small flight and we weren't so high up, you know. I mean, we were high enough to die but not 30,000 feet. I wonder, can you – I mean, within in a private plane like that, could you have parachutes? I'm sure. That's what I would want. If I was on a private plane, why wouldn't there be just be parachutes for everybody on the plane? And then, you know, you get to a certain level, the plane's going down, jump right up out. Yeah, I don't Seems know. Like that I guess, would make the most sense, right? I guess you just anticipate that you're not going to crash every mm. time, you know? Wow. And, uh, but, I mean, it was, you know, I tried, you know, a few times to get out of that. I mean, I was like, <laughs> uh, when you, because you were supposed to go with us yeah. originally. And uh, when I told Bill that you couldn't go, I was thinking that maybe he'd be like, oh, okay, well, it can't work out then. Because yeah, he was really fixated on the number of people originally. Right. So if I dropped out, we thought it'd be over. And then when Dan texted me the night before and he was like, can you leave? This was Thursday. He was like, we we're supposed to leave Friday. He was like, can you leave tonight? And I texted him. I said, no, but if you guys need to go, he said, because the weather's better tonight than it is tomorrow. And I was like, no, nah, but you guys can go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan's like, I'm not going down without you. So I think that's fun, though. Yeah, it was fun. I'm gl- really glad that I did it now. Yeah. I mean, I am really glad that it's I did it. It's a cool it. experience. And it's like, yeah, but it's like, as far as more, like more details on how that all, all went, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it really because... That's it, all you need to say, babe. Because it's pretty uneventful. But I do have... I wanted to see... Uh, yeah, I mean, people asked a couple of questions about the plane, but I think that I've pretty much answered those questions because... Uh, there isn't much else to say. All right, well, let's move on, babe. Okay, so, and then Hannah made the a 13-hour drive from, oh, yeah. from Canada to Nashville, which is pretty impressive. 13 hours is tough. Yeah, so two weeks ago, I was going to do uh, gigs in Ann Arbor with Jimmy Pardo at the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase. And my first show was on Friday night. And we had the Nashville Comedy Festival there. So we were busy all the way through. And the plan was to just get up really early Friday morning and then drive to Michigan, eight hours up to Michigan, and then, you know, get there shortly before my first show. But this happens to me a lot. It used to happen a lot when I was an actress and I'd have an early call time or a big day ahead of me. I would have a hard time falling asleep. So what happened was is I ended up, you know, putting my head down on Thursday night, trying to fall asleep. You know, I don't take sleeping pills. I don't take any of that kind of stuff. So it's just straight up Hannah and her mind. And I really couldn't sleep. And so I was just kind of lying wide awake 3 a.m. on Thursday or Friday morning. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get on the road right now. So I did. I just got on the road at 3 a.m., you know, just twilight hour out there. And I drove up to Ann Arbor, got there around 2 p.m., which was ideal because I got to just sleep before my shows and feel slightly restored for uh for that night and uh 
I've done stuff like that before. I've done stuff like that, like on the road. If I just can't sleep and all I'm thinking about is the drive ahead of me, and I'm like, why don't I just get on the road now? Because either way, I'm going to be tired. <laughs> you know what this song? Yeah. I'm feeling this right now, Dusty. To the That's fun. Like, that's probably the only time I've ever been feeling a Matchbox 20 song. Oh, that's not true for me, but... You like Matchbox? I like Matchbox 20, their first two albums. Yeah. Uh, Yourself or Someone Like You, and then whatever the second one was, like Bent or something like that. Oh, yeah. I like those. Maybe I'm being hard on them. Maybe I do When the second album came out, I was working at Papa John's delivering pizzas. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really resonated with me. Me and my sister went to a concert, a Matchbox 20 concert one time. Mm-hmm. And a guy, me and we, we were standing next to each other, and we were just, you know, and a guy was like trying to get me to put my arm around her, and I was like, "It's my sister," you know. He was like, "That's what I mean." No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. Should we move on? Do you want to go to like car fights? Car fights. This is not a car fight, actually. This is just this is just a thing. Like we have in our kitchen. This is just a fight. This is just domestic problems. Well, this is just a thing. I don't know. Maybe other people are going through this, right? So we moved recently, and so we're trying to figure out, you know, our new cabinet situation, our new fridge organization situation. And I'm big on these things being organized. That way, when I open a cabinet, I know what's in there, right? But Hannah, so I'll get Hannah in there and I'll go, hey, let's decide together where we want to put things so that we know to put it there. And then she will come in, but I guess she won't look at me or pay attention. And then, uh, so, you know, she and, and Hannah cleans up a lot. She's very clean and she does a lot of work, but she'll empty the dishwasher and then just put things in all kinds of different spots. So then I, they're, they're lost and I can't find them. And then I'll say to her about them, uh, hey, why, why are you putting this stuff here or here? And then she yells at me about how it has to all be my way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but as you're saying that, I'm like, this is a pretty stupid problem. I mean, this isn't really a real fight. This is just the minutia of marriage. I well, mean, this, of course like, it's a people stupid that are, fight. People that are just roommates have that kind of problem. Like, oh, dude, put it, put it away here. You know what I mean? This just seems like a basic roommate problem. Well, well, I mean, but yeah, I mean, well, we're talking about it. I mean, and you you agreed that this would be a topic that we would talk about. And now that we're talking yeah. about it, you're telling me that it's, it's dumb. Yeah, but I wanted to bring you on here to sabotage <laughs> Okay. on yeah. the mic. That seems like what you tried to do. Like, it seems like... <laughs> It seems like you were like you realized that you had lost the fight about organizing things in the cabinet. So you were like, you know what? This whole conversation's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but as I was listening to it, I was like, is this just like a dumb couple thing? Like, does it really matter? Like, I mean, I think our car fights are more interesting when we're on the road because it's like we really ha- have it out. 
and we'll really fight. But this one, it's like, oh, like, you have, you put things in wrong cupboards. It's like, what are we talking about here? Well, it makes me mad. Jeez. Because you you lose things. Yeah. But the arrogance and the entitlement for you to say, this is where the milk goes forever. Yes, exactly. See, this is what I wanted to get out of you. See, this (laughs) is what I wanted because... I say where the salt and pepper goes, (laughs) woman! Exactly, because that's how you perceive the whole thing. (laughs) But what I'm saying is I like for us to come together... And then together decide where we put things and then agree that that's where it goes. I live in the moment. And if I want to put a watermelon on the top shelf and not the bottom shelf, then that's, you know, that's what God's leading me to do. Right. And then like the cabinet the other day, you were like, I don't like how this is organized. And I'm like, well, I don't like how it's organized now either. That's not how it started. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, we could have worse problems. I, yeah, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I'm not suggesting we get divorced over this. <laughs> <laughs> we just wrote this down on our board to talk about, and now we're talking about it. And you're making it seem like I'm trying to bring. I'm trying to pick a fight on on air here. I'm just just trying to talk about the thing we said we'd talk about. All right, so car fights. That was <laughs> that was an exciting one, and uh, we had a good time there, though. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's do this. I want to play a song. We'll be riding wild A friend of mine on Instagram pointed out to me the other day um, that uh, D-Chap, uh, we were talking a little bit about, uh, he's been to some comedy shows of mine, and we were talking, he liked the Brooks and Dunn segment that I did the other day about the brand new man. He says he's the same age as me. And he also listened to that song and remembers singing it, even though he had no idea what it meant. And it brought to mind a song that he remembers, and I also remember, by the great George Strait. And it is called, I don't want to give away the title yet. I'm, I'm finding it on my phone. And uh, and I I don't think Hannah listened to that this morning either, so it'd be great. It's it, the song came out in 1984, so I would have been two years old when this song came out. I guess wow. But um, I remember singing this song as a kid, and like not really knowing what it meant. So I'm gonna play a little bit of it now. Are you ready? Okay, so based off that, they call me the fireman, that's my name. Making my rounds all over town, putting out old flames. Everybody'd like to have what I got. I could cool them down when they're smoldering hot. They call me the fireman, that's my name. What do you think that means? I say he's a ladies' man, he's just laying into them and he's putting them fires out of their hot bodies. But what do you mean, what do you think he means by old flames? Just women that I wanted him for a long time. 
See, all right. Now listen to the this. That was the chorus. Now the actual first verse. Okay, so he says, he says we had a bad one. Uh, my buddy walked out and left his woman firing out of control. I forget the lyric. I don't, I don't have this song memorized. But he says, my buddy walked out and left his woman firing out of control. His buddy now. Yeah, friend. So his friend walked out on his woman. And then he said, I was down there in about an hour or so. So, <laughs> and a little mouth to mouth, she was ready to go. I'm the fireman. That's my name. Yeah, that's not a very good friend. So, this guy, this is, this guy he is just known for if you leave your, you can't even, you can't even like leave your woman and make her miss you. And then, like, maybe, maybe, Maybe you're in a situation where your woman's being very unappreciative of you. So you go, you know what? We're breaking up. And then, you know, maybe the woman realizes, hey, I had a good man. I should I should try to be nicer to him. But in this town, you can't do it. Because George Strait will be down there in about an hour or so, little mouth to mouth, ready to go, because he's putting out old flames. Yeah, and I think that that's just going to cause more problems. It's going to confuse the woman, and it's going to fire up her ex-boyfriend. Yeah, let's hear. Let's hear the. Seems to me you're putting putting fires on. Yeah, you're starting fires, George. Yeah, let's hear the second verse. Let's hear a little bit about of his. Uh... Are we waiting for the chorus? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's my name. All right, here we go. Oh, a little fiddle. <laughs> Dusty's dancing. Oh, this is good. I love country music. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know. Here it is. I just want to say... Uh, probably the time I was listening to this song, my mom had a fire engine red T-Bird automobile. Ford Thunderbird. So, this guy... Has a Ford Thunderbird. He can be dressed dressed to kill in a minute or so. And he get too hot, just give him a call. He's down there. They call me the fireman. That's my name. But who knew that's what he was talking about as a kid? Not me. What did you think he was talking about? I don't know. I didn't think he was talking about going around banging women that just broke up with their boyfriends. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Subliminal messaging yeah. in there. So that's pretty fun. I think you just thought he was a fun fireman. Little boys love firemen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought, hey, this is a good guy. You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's his buddy left town, and then he's like, his house caught on fire, and he had to 
got on there and put that out. Yeah, a little mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Yeah. You know, he's got some first aid. Saved the woman's life. Yeah. What a good dude. Yeah. George Strait is a great dude, shooting him straight, straight yeah. from the hip. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so we have, let's do the advice to comic segment, because we don't have a ton of time, because I have a, the great interview with Jessica Watkins uh, coming up next. All right, let's just do the uh, advice to comic segment. Now, the first thing, I, I just have questions. These were sent to me. I'm not going to say by who because I don't know if, they, if they'll if they uh, want me to say the name. But I'm going to say... Don't dox them. Yes. Here's the first question. How do you go about reaching out to a booker? Do you contact the club via the Contact Us page? Is there a way to find out who books at what clubs? If so, where do I find that info? I think that you can – this is my – I think you can reach out to the Contact Us page. Chances are you're not going to get answered. Uh, I don't know. depends on the club. I know that every club booker gets a million emails. Um, I think you know the best thing, if you can't find any other email, just email the Contact Us page on a website. But the best way is to just try to ask around other comic friends if you and see if they have an email for that club. And then try to get a reference if you can. And then if you have any kind of credits, anything that you've done, and other clubs that you worked. This is what I think a lot of clubs are looking for. Uh, I would send, you know... Uh, you know, in the email where you're from, you know, in the in the subject, you know, so-and-so comic looking for, you know, whatever kind of work you're looking for, feature work, hosting work. And then you start off with a compliment of the club. Say something nice about them. Um, you know, everyone likes to have something said nice about them. And, in, in you know, there's got to be a reason why you want to work the club. And so why is it that you want to work that club? And usually that's going to be a compliment. I've heard great things about the club. I'd love to work here. And then you say, um, I've been on, I've worked this club before, this club, this club, this club, and I have been on this show, this show, this show, if you have. And then you, uh, I would send a two to three minute YouTube link to a video. And then you could send a longer video too, but that two to three minute video, just be hilarious. Just be, no, don't have some MC on there bringing you up on stage. Just be bang, 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 laughs. That's what I think. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's not rocket science. Figure out all the different ways you can contact a club, whether it's their Facebook page, whether it's people that right. you know that have a connection well, to the club, and just well, don't, don't, and respond. No yeah, yeah, of course. It's not a lot of people are like, how do you do it? It's like, how do you Listen, think you do it? Well, well, there's no reason to, to be like that. I mean, people are asking questions, and we're answering them. We don't want to insult them for asking I'm not, questions. I'm not insulting them, but I think sometimes people... People think that it's some some of us have some sort of magic thing. We're like, well, no, we're just finding the contacts and figuring out a email approach that works. Well, they're just well, they're just asking a question and we're just answering it. So that's that's all. There's no need to go at them. All right. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm on my third and a half coffee here. I get a little fired up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. But yeah, I mean, they're just asking questions and we're just answering those questions. Okay. Well, you give the nice answer and then I'll give the. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, well, answer. Well, but that's – but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that my – I mean, yeah, you're you're nicer than that, what you just did. 
Am I? Yeah, yeah, you are. You are. And you don't even feel that way. I mean, you're just being nice here. No, I do feel that way because I feel like we've gotten that question a lot. Like, how do you reach out to bookers? Well, I don't mind answering it. I don't know how you can't surmise that. Well, I think that it was a question when I started doing comedy. It was a real question for me. Like, how do I reach out? What do I do? And sometimes, you know, people, you know, they haven't listened to every episode of our podcast. And so they just need that help. All right. Next question. I'm working on asking for what I want. I found, uh, and I found that for smaller local clubs, shows not at comedy clubs, it's advantageous to reach out to show producers, host, and ask for stage time. Is this true with bookers as well? Is there a line that you shouldn't cross when asking to be booked? I know when I've reached out to casting directors in the past, I've been persistent, used the rule of marketing, and reached out at least five times. I've gotten meetings and auditions with them that I probably wouldn't have received had I not been super persistent about getting their attention. Is this true in comedy as well, or do bookers prefer to find people on their own? And if that's the case, how do I get in front of them without being annoying? Uh, I think that you should be persistent. I think that, but but I would say once every three weeks to a month, reach out. I wouldn't do it every week. Definitely not every day. But persistence is important. I, I say do it, you know, email every month. That's what I always say. Send avails to them every month. At least once a month or, or only once a month, send avails. And then even local shows. I mean, you may not want to be so persistent with a local club show, but, but reaching out to someone and saying, hey, I am interested in doing your show. If you ever have some space available, I'd love to do it. I think the problem with local shows is when people assume that they should just be on the show. And they go, hey, when are you going to book me? As opposed to, hey, I've been to your show. I think your show's really fun. I'd like to be on it. You know, And um, I, think, I, I think that answers the question. Do you think? I think persistent, persistence is really important. I think we have a lot of like really sensitive artist types, obviously, are stand-ups. And, you know, they get excited and they send out all their avails to 20 different venues, clubs, producers, and then they don't hear anything back. And it's such a – it's so painful to be rejected by that many people that they're just thinking, oh, well, I'm not even going to do this then. There's got to be a better way. But it's like, no, there's not a better way. You just have to keep doing it. If you're able to, to do some FaceTime – if you're close enough to a club where you can stop by, hang out, that's helpful. And honestly, though, clubs take chances on people. I mean, I booked our tour in Washington State, and I didn't know anyone in Washington State. But I, I messaged different comedy places, uh, Facebook pages, and got responses and, and got yes. shows. So it is possible. I think you just have to have an open mind and accept that some people are never going to get back to you. Some people will get back to you with a hard no, and then the rest of them will say yes. So that's, it's just those are the three things that will happen. That's why I say it's so important to have a, a, a very short video because, I mean, in my – I mean, this is – like you want to have a video for the length of time you're asking to do. So if you want to host, have a video that's 15. If you want to feature, have a video that's 30. If you want a headline, have a video that's 45. Um and I would include the that length of time video in the email as well. Mm-hmm. But I also would only include – I would also include a three-minute video. A three-minute video of you just being as clean as possible and hilarious. 
to where that person can open that video and not have to watch a whole thing, but they can click it and immediately within 30 seconds you're getting a laugh. And then you're just bang, bang, bang laughs. And I think that's important because the booker can go, wow, this person's really funny. And then they can say, well, let me watch the longer video if they want. And also consider if no one's getting back to you for you know more than six months, like zero people, maybe you should really reconsider your video. Maybe there's a problem with right. the metadata in your emails. So either yeah. you're wording it incorrectly or your video is really bad. Now, just because you think your jokes are funny... Uh, if the audience in the video is not laughing, it's not going to be a, a good reflection on you. You need to have not only the, your funny jokes coming out of your mouth, but a very large and .5 on the Richter scale laughs from the audience. They have to see you crushing, not just the veracity of your written joke. Okay, you, It has to be a solid video that they can see you well, like if it's on a weird angle or it looks like a crappy camera phone. I mean, all those things affect the production and the professional quality of a video. So if you're really not getting any responses, it's probably your video. And and if that's the case, then send it to some of your more professional comedian friends, get their impression on it, and then just make a new goal to be get a hot new five minutes. But also, yes, I agree with that totally. And also, like, I mean... I mean, always be working on a new video, right? Until you get an agent, until you get something like that where somebody else is doing the booking for you, always be working on a new video. Like always, you should be you should be filming and, your sets anyway. And, and this is a thing that actually may make me sound like some sort of privilege, privileged woman, but I don't understand why every stand-up doesn't invest in a, in a small video camera, that they can literally tape every single set. I have owned a camera... And it was maybe $200. You can get $200, $300, bucks, yeah. you get a good camcorder. You get an SD card. You get you get a little tripod that you can set up so that it can go over people's heads and it can and it can get tall. And then you have that. And just tape every single show. Get in the habit of taping every single show. And this is beneficial for two reasons. So that when you are in front of a great audience and you're killing, you're not so self-aware that you're being taped and you have to get this on tape because you do it every time. So you're not thinking about how you're getting taped. And the other thing is, is, you know, fun stuff can happen an interesting or funny heckle that you could put on YouTube, or you say something new and a new riff and now you have it recorded and you can see the way you look. Also, it's really good for you to know what you look like coming across to an audience. Whenever I watch myself, I'm like floored. I'm like, oh, I do just look like a soccer mom. Like, and that is how I come across to an audience. And so it really is even, it's even more helpful than just listening to audio. So for those of you that, I mean, I just know so many comics, like I don't have a good tape. I don't have a good tape, but they say that for five years. I don't have a good tape, man. Well then get a camera and tape yourself. One person told me. Lazy, lazy comic. One person told me a long time ago, I was like, I was like, hey, do you have a video of your most recent com- – I was going to put them on a show that I was doing. I was like, do you have a video of your most recent comedy? And and they said, no, no one's filmed me yet. Yeah. And it's like, well, you gotta you got to do it yourself. All right, just for the sake of time, let's move to the next question. Uh, what do you think is the single most important thing you did coming up to gain attention for your work as a comic? Um, well, f- for me, I just think that it is – uh, always striving to be unique, always striving to talk about subjects that I don't hear other people talking about. Um, I mean, I am very quick to abandon a joke if I 
uh, if I think that it's too close to something else someone else is doing. Now, I don't mean someone at, the, at an open mic. If I show up at an open mic, if someone has a similar joke to mine, I, I'm not necessarily going to stop doing that joke because I'm like, you thought of it, I thought of it. As long as the wording is not exactly the same, then I'm not changing. But, I mean, if, if, if you watch... TV, I mean, like, that's why I don't do current event topics, right? Because every time something happens, you go on Twitter, every comic is talking about that joke. You go to an open mic, every comic is talking about that joke. You turn on TV, every comic on TV is talking about that joke. That's why I don't do it. I mean, so what I what what helps me is to talk about myself. I talk about myself growing up, and that shows you what kind of person I am, and then my observational comedy is coming through that lens of who I am as a person. Yeah, Dusty's a comedy snob. It's actually very difficult for him and I to just go to a comedy show together. Like if he comes to a local showcase that I'm on in Nashville or we're just watching a show for some reason. Because even if someone is on stage and they're ostensibly crushing and making the audience laugh, Dusty will walk away from that show being like, that was terrible. All that comedy was terrible. Because there's, well, so there's so many things you don't like about comedians. Well, I am able... In my opinion, I'm able to tell the difference between what I think is good comedy and someone crushing, right? I see people crush all the time, but I've seen so much comedy that I'm like, all right, I've heard that joke, I've heard that joke, I've heard that joke. And I don't mean that the person stole the joke. I just mean it's it's such a, a, a base level thinking that it's like, ah, it's the same thing I've heard a million times in a new package. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's why it's like comedy is best when it's personal, when you're really talking about yourself. But, I mean, I just I just get so annoyed with comics that are trying to tell other people how to live. Anytime somebody goes, hey, this type of person, let me tell you something. It's like, okay, I'm immediately turned off. The moment people are like, let me tell you something, I'm, I'm immediately, I'm tuning out. It's like, there's no need to try to educate me. Uh, just be funny. Be fun. And I think developing your own comedy sensibilities is really advantageous to to an artist. To know what you think is good. To know what you think is good art. You know, like Dusty doesn't like things that talk about politics or religion or is, or is any kind of way preaching about how the rest of society should live. That's Dusty's sensibilities. And you can see how that informs the way he approaches his own work. Whereas I was talking to um, Benton Ray this weekend and we were talking comedy shop and he was really saying that he loves the narrative structure. He loves people uh, sharing things about themselves so that when they leave the stage, he, he thinks, I know who they are as a person, you know? And so his sensibilities are really being informed in you know who he is and his perspective on the world you know so there's different there's different thing and, it, and it's good and i think to kind of polish and refine what you think is good and it's you don't you're not going to agree with everyone not everyone has the same idea of what they think good comedy is but following your own compass right of good art is what's going to take you to a place in your comedy where you're really doing what you want to be doing up there and, and I think that uh, some people think that they're going to change the world by preaching at you. And I think that you do more to change people's minds and change the world uh, by just being a fun, likable person and making the audience like you. 
Like, you know what I mean? And I just think that it's it's so weird how people want to be like, I, I feel like it's my obligation as a comic to talk about the important issues. But I feel like everyone's obligation as a comic and their only obligation as a comic is to be funny and make everyone in that audience laugh. You make them feel good. Make them feel, yeah, make them happy that they chose to leave their house and come see a comedy show because there's so many reasons to not leave your house anymore. I was just watching something. Oh, it was the Karate Kid fake 30 for 30. And they were saying, you know, back in the 80s, there was no, there wasn't all of these different ESPNs. There wasn't all of the internet sports. If you wanted to see a sporting event, you had to go see it. You know, there was a few things on TV, but you would go see things. Before comedy was everywhere on Netflix and everywhere on YouTube and everywhere, you had to go to a live comedy event. So now people have all these other options. Live comedy is still the best, but they have lots of reasons to not leave. So if they go, you know what, tonight I'm going to leave. I'm going to go and I'm going to go watch a live comedy show. And then every comic that comes out there is preaching at them about the way they live, about the religion they have, about the way they vote – then they're like, you know what? I'm not going to waste my time or my money anymore on that. Yeah. That's my opinion. That's Dusty. He, <coughs> is, right. he has found his voice. Okay, any more questions? For, for time, uh, that was all the questions from one particular person. But for we are running low on time. Let's just try to answer a couple of these. Uh, cream corn, what's with that stuff? Can you answer that for me? <laughs> what do you think about that? What's with cream corn? Yeah. I mean, I, I I was raised on cream corn. I guess I ate a lot of cream corn growing up. Now it's just sort of something that I associate with the, what's that gross place that me and you go to a lot? Or go to a lot on the road. The the place where you got served that gross steak with your dad. Oh, Western Sizzlin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love Western Sizzlin. To me, Sizzlin, cream yes. corn and Western Sizzlin are, uh, I don't know, just nasty. It's just wet. I think it's uh, I think it's gross too. It used to be my favorite vegetable as a kid, but I think it's pretty gross now. Yeah. Would you ever consider becoming a Canadian citizen? Oh, uh, I like that question. Yeah, I would. I would do dual citizenship. I think. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I would do that. I like Canada. At what point did you decide to give up your day job, assuming you had one, and how scary was that? Well, I used to sell pesticides. And uh, I quit that and went to waiting tables. And then from waiting tables, I moved to Nashville. And and that's when I decided to go full-time comedy. But I needed a job for a bit, so I took a part-time job back selling pesticides. And I decided that I was going to go full-time comedy. And when the pesticide job was seasonal. So I was like, when this job ends... I'm going to not get another job. So I had money saved, I had low rent, and I had no car payment. And I was able to do all of those things because I saved money. Kept my expenses low, saved money. So when I eventually that job ended, it wasn't scary at all because I didn't have a lot of bills. My rent was $250 a month, and that's because I lived in a tiny attic apartment with a very bad air conditioner where you couldn't even stay in there during the daytime because it was so hot and there was a lot of rats in the house. So some, some of our first love making was in yeah, that hot hot room. It was. We got sweaty up in there. <laughs> and uh, all right, so are people different or do they respond differently to your act in all the places you've been? We've seen you in Nashville and Phoenix and we could see a little difference. 
Uh, yes, I remember Beth. Uh, I remember seeing them in Phoenix and in Nashville. Very nice of them to come to both. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there is different responses in different places to certain jokes. But overall, not as much. Overall, I think that I create the kind of comedy that most everyone can get into. Even now, you know, like I've done some very hipster type shows in Brooklyn, New York, where that's where I feel the most self-conscious about my comedy because I feel like it's a very young, very hip audience. Uh, but even there, I was really able to make people laugh with the same jokes. I mean, I did one night I did the Grand Old Opry and then like three days later, I was doing NACA. I was doing the college auditions and I did the exact same set for the older people at the Grand Old Opry that I did for the younger people at the college audition. It went great. So I think that trying to write comedy that... Uh, well, that also goes back to when you're not using polarizing subjects like religion, politics, exactly. you know, sociopolitical issues. When you're just talking about more uh, personal stuff, then people get into the connection of the storytelling. Right. Cracker Barrel versus Waffle House. Um, I got to say, it's, it's tough to say. Waffle House uses something to cook with. That just does not agree with my stomach. I almost get heartburn every time, even though I think it's very tasty. Uh, I got to go Cracker Barrel just because of the chicken and dumplings. Waffle House for the ability to get that any time of the day and to potentially witness a murder. But uh, Cracker Barrel wins with the chicken and dumplings. I mean, I think both those places are a blight on obesity and a blight on society. And, you know, it's too bad that it's definitely culturized down here that people just eat at those places all the time uh, a lot of corn syrup in there really unhealthy so i'm gonna for sure just go with a salad um talk us through getting your hair show ready uh well <laughs> when i did uh jimmy fallon uh those people really did my hair but even they said that you had they said to me you have very nice hair do you even want us to do anything and I said, this is what I want. I said, when I take off my hat, my hair falls in my face. I just want that not to happen tonight. And they said, okay. So there's not a lot. I don't do a lot. Sometimes He's got a beautiful mane. He really does. Um, uh, it said, I'd like to hear your take on people's different sense of humor and how you craft jokes to appeal to wide audiences. Well, again, that just goes to, like we've said a couple of times, staying away from polarizing topics. Um, you know, just, just talking. Because the other problem is if you decide to talk about politics or you decide to talk about, you know, preachy stuff that's going on in the world, just know that people on that people at your audience are seeing better political jokes on Colbert, yeah. are seeing better political jokes on The Daily Show. So why are you trying to compete with these guys? They're already got it all covered. I did have this idea the other day that I thought was really funny, and, and everybody kind of laughed. But I think that uh, typically uh, the people that live in rural areas of the country where there's not a lot of people are conservative. And liberal people live in cities where they're around a lot more people, right? And liberals tend to want more government control. Conserv conservatives tend to want less government control, right? So this was my theory. When people are sitting off in the country somewhere and they're not around a lot of people, they're going, 
hey, I wish the government would leave us alone and stop trying to control us. But when you live in a city and you're surrounded by people, you go, somebody needs to control these people, (laughs) right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. Gosh, that's a good, that's a, what a hot take. Someone said, meeting Jeff Foxworthy. Because I asked what would people want me to talk about. Jeff Foxworthy was great. The greatest thing about meeting Jeff Foxworthy was that he was so nice and he talked to me like a colleague, which is amazing to me. How many fish do I have? Zero. Um, thoughts on Emo Phillips? Honestly, don't know any of his stuff. I hear he's very creative, very funny. Yeah, he got uh, a little handsy with me when I worked with him. Did he? Yeah. I don't care. For, well, all right. Then I don't really care weird, for But he said he's such a weird dude that I'm like, you know, if he's in character and he's getting handsy, I guess I'll forgive him. Ancient aliens. Somebody said that. I don't believe in aliens. I have some theories. I won't share them now, but I don't believe in aliens. Who gives the best massages, North or South Korea's? <laughs> no idea. Uh, Hannah. Hannah gives the best massages. Oh, well, Hannah gets, but he said North or South Korea's. Yeah, but I'm gets. saying the answer is me because uh, I'm always massaging you. Yes, that's true. Um, all right. Last question. Uh, oh, here's one more before the last one. Did your dad ever make cheese? If so, what type <laughs> of cheeses did he make? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow thanks for that person with autism that's, that last question <laughs> that's manny v manny oh. v's been down in uh some south american country living where he's from uh, i think and he is he's uh, in south america i think so Ooh. yeah uh how do cows count they use a calculator mm. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right let's wrap it up all right um kmart cargo shorts versus big lot cargo shorts I mean, there's someone that's really done a lot of department store shopping. All right. Recommend. recommend. Look at all these people. These were your funniest questions. This is the thread, and these were your funny questions. Come on, guys. All right. Could Bigfoot really exist? Why have we been unable to find any remains, if so? Well, that's maybe Bigfoot's immortal. I think Bigfoot does exist, and I think we have found his remains. They just don't reveal it to us. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. All right, so this has been a good time. I wanted to do more country music stuff, but we're out of time. Next week, I, or next week, it'll just be Hannah. But the following week, I'd like to do uh, uh, a comparison of why ro- songs about rodeos remind me of me doing comedy. I can't wait, Dusty. Stay tuned. Next up, we have our. This has been the We're Having a Good Time podcast. I'm Dusty Slay. She's Hannah Hogan. And next up, she is. Jessica Watkins. Here we are, uh, the We're Having a Good Time podcast. Uh, I'm Dusty Slay, and I'm here with my guest, Jessica Watkins. That's me. And Jessica uh, lives in New York. Live in New York. From Nashville. From Nashville. And now she's visiting, and we had her on the podcast because a long time ago, we were doing stories about people staying in condos, and... Jessica did a special thing, and uh, so she has some stories, and so we were, you know, going to do this months ago, but it didn't work out, but now we're here. Here we are. And she's made it, so uh, we're having a good time. Uh, Jessica has tea. I got tea. I had her take uh, some bee pollen in a capsule. I'm really hoping it's going to do the trick. Yeah, so we're going to clear her sinuses up, and if it doesn't, I mean, hopefully it doesn't, you know, have any ill effects. I've taken lots of them. All right. I, it's great. I love Ooh. it. I never have sinus problems. Because so. of the, you think that's why the bee pollen? I don't know. Yeah. But people complain about sinuses all the time. I never have them. Mm. 
sometimes my uh, I feel like my sinuses will explode in an airplane. Right. But that's about the only time. Yeah, that's how I feel um, all the time. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, good. Well, that's a terrible feeling. I hate that for <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, me and Jessica probably haven't talked a whole lot in real life. Yeah, IRL. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've you know, we see each other at shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy her comedy. Thank you, as well as I enjoy yours. Uh, but we haven't talked a bunch, so now we're here in a room staring at each other, <laughs> and uh, and we're talking. So, uh, Jessica, what she did was she walked all the way across the country. Yeah. From east to west or west to east? I started in Delaware. Okay. And then I went to... Um, Southern California, Oceanside, California. All right. So I want to ask questions. Yes. And then, so the first question, I think, is uh, why Mm -hmm. did you decide Mm -hmm. to do Mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. And it's a good question. Yeah. um, Because I'm not a walker. Right. So to hear that you did that is mind-blowing to me. Well, for the physical part of it, you know, when I moved to New York, so I moved to L.A. and I was there for six years. And then when I moved to New York, you know, you walk a lot yeah. there. Yes, you do. And so actually literally physically getting into the part where I was like, oh, I really like walking. It's okay. like kind of a meditative, yeah. cathartic. Because in New York, sometimes people will say, I'll stay with friends, and they're like, oh, we'll just take the subway over there. We have a subway stop that's only a mile from here. Right. It's only a, about a 14-minute walk from and I'm where like, we are. So oh, a to- mile. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, I've gone to grocery stores, pulled into the parking lot, been like, you know what, I'll just come back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In New York, you know, you got to be a strong walker. Yeah, really. Yes, you do. So that, but okay. Well, what had happened though is that years before, when I lived in LA, I did meet a guy who walked across America one time. Okay. And I definitely didn't think that that was something I could do when he told me that. And he's a really interesting dude. It's this guy, Aaron Huey. He's a photographer. And when I met him, he wore gold shoes, and we played. Um, we were playing a game of golf, and he played okay. the entire course with a putter, and so that was like interesting. Wow! And then, um, then I found out that he walked across America, and I was like, "Well, that's cool." And then years later, the idea, and it was like right around that time when I was in New York, and I was just walking a lot. So then the idea kind of started coming back into my head about this this walking thing. Okay. And then I've been doing stand up for a few years, and you know we're we're getting to this social media uh area er, era uh, you know where um you know you got to have your podcast or your web series or your like some some like kitschy thing and anything to get out of delaware anything to get me (laughs) out of delaware oh and also around that time was when um crowdsourcing started to become really popular Okay. Yeah. So we're all we're all out there trying to get a social media thing going. Mm-hmm. We're all trying to get some likes. And we're people are doing like Kickstarters. So, you know, yeah. they're doing Kickstarters and GoFundMe's, and there's there's. And it was like, well, how do you what what's an idea of something that people will kind of get inspired enough to want to give you money to do? Right. And then um, I decided to walk, but you know, I didn't really know how difficult that would actually be. Uh, okay. So, all right, so you started in Delaware, and what time of year was it when you started? It was right around this time of year. Actually, it was like all right, five so, years ago, right around now. Okay. So how long, so you started, you were like, you know, just trying to get a thing going. You thought it sounded fun. Yeah, I did a, a crowdsourcing and raised like 15000 bucks, And wow. I was like, okay, I'm going to take this. I'm going to um, do stand-up along the way. And then you're like, dang, now i got to walk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or right. I can never go on Facebook again. <laughs> right, right, right. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, I decided, well, if I'm going to walk and I'm going to be doing shows, 
I should probably film this. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I got a sponsorship from the Black Magic Camera Company. Okay. Uh, don't know why they did that because I just had never used a camera before and um, never made a film before, never walked anywhere before, never camped alone. So there were a lot of firsts happening. Yeah. Uh, but I just went for it, and I so yeah, I started filming and stuff. I've never camped alone either. And I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I grew up kind of in the woods and I don't want to sleep in the woods. <laughs> well, when you're really, really tired, you do sleep easier. And then also it's like, well, I mean, if I'm going to get murdered in this tent, like I might as well be asleep when it happens, you know? Yeah. So I didn't really have trouble sleeping. So let's say, all right. So the first day, oh. how far did you walk on the first the day? The first day was like 18 miles or something. It was a pretty long way. And how far is it, miles-wise, from Delaware to L.A., or wherever it is that you so walked So I, I, I didn't walk every single step. I did take some rides here and there. So I walked a little over 2,000 miles. And, okay. But from Delaware and to Oceanside, it's right around 2,500 miles. Okay. So you walked 2,000. You got rides for 500. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Well, it kind of just how it worked is I started going on these side – I kept getting invited on these weird side trips or, like – you know, I'd get asked to do comedy in a town that was nearby, but like a little north, a little south. So I just kind of said yes to those things yeah. and tried not to. So you walked 18 miles the first day. What did what was that first night of camping like? Well, the first night I had a place to stay, and it was a guy from couch surfing, And he had said that he wasn't going to be there. But then he like came. I did a show the night before I started, and he came to the show. And then when I got to the house, he was like, oh, I'm actually, I am going to be here. And that kind of weirded me out. Oh, yeah. So it's like, well, you weren't going to be here, but then we met, and then now you, you are going to be like, here. you're like, you know what? I am going to be at home. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be here just to keep you company. Yeah. yeah. And then he, like, showed me to my room, and he was like, hey, if you hear anything coming from this room over here, it's just the attic. There's bats in the attic. Oh. And I was like, he's going to murder me for right. sure. Right. If you hear anything creepy over here, don't worry <laughs> yeah, about exactly. it. This is fine. Okay. All right. Yeah. This Perfect. is fine. So I did also, he like kept pushing on me to go hang out with uh, the other guy that like rents a, this like barn on his property. And I was like, uh, I just kind of want to chill. But he kept like pushing for me to go hang out with him. So I went and hung out with that guy and we smoked pot and I got way paranoid, just yeah. like super paranoid. And I was just like, I didn't sleep for several hours. I was just kind of like listening to these noises coming from the attic. And like, right. also bats. I got like severely windburn the first day. So I was just like just very red and sore and afraid of getting murdered but and then you have to so you walk 18 miles <clears throat> you're wind burned you yeah. didn't get a lot of sleep because you got paranoid yeah and then you have to get up and walk again the next that's day that's right you can't even get out of there fast <laughs> <laughs> nope you just get out of there and you walk real slow so you weren't out of delaware in the first day no it didn't take me long though it was like three days and then i was out of delaware delaware is pretty small all right and then where do you go then, so, okay, also, like, everyone in Delaware kept offering me eggs, which was, like, people were literally pulling over, like, hey, do you want some eggs? And I found out that egg uh, chickens outnumber people 100 to 1 in Delaware. Wow. Some interesting facts here, folks. Yeah, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm out here walking. I'll take some raw yeah, eggs. exactly. That's going to do me a lot. Of, I'll just be, I'm rocky out here. I'll just have any, uh, drink the raw eggs. Maybe some eggs. ankle weights I could grab from you as well. Yeah. Just carry these around. Yeah. So what do you have with you? You have a big backpack? No. So um, instead of a backpack, I pushed a running stroller. Okay. So that did limit me because then I couldn't go on trails, like, well, some trails. Um, but I didn't have to carry a big backpack. So yes. that was cool. Um, so I have like a tent, a sleeping bag, 
you know, all these different kinds of hiking clothes, waterproof gear, a um, couple different pairs of shoes, food, like a lot of uh, noodles and rice, and um, bear spray. Bear spray, okay, which is yes. my um, defense mechanism. Yes. Uh, oh, and I was filming, so I had to bring, like, my camera and then, like, a small computer So there's, the, there's the threat of being robbed as well. Oh, yeah. Quite a bit of equipment. Like, that definitely normal hikers wouldn't have. So what about, when was the first night that you slept in the tent? Uh, well, that was, the night before I started, I slept in the tent. And then, um, yeah, about on the third and fourth day, I was sleeping in a tent. And that's also when I, I hurt my knee pretty bad. Because the thing was, I didn't um, practice at all. Like, okay. I left. You were like, I live in New York. I walk yeah, enough. I'm, walking. I'm fine. I'm walking. I'm going yeah. to the grocery store. I'm walking to the subway. I'll be fine. So day three or four, you're already hurt. Well, I, I just to say, I did do some physical um, pr- preparation, but I never walked with the full cart with like, you know, 100 pounds of stuff on it. So what did you do to hurt your knee? Just strain it? Just, yeah. Like I was just pushing 100 pounds of stuff, 18 miles in the body. I got tendonitis. The body was like, oh, you can't, you shouldn't just do that all of a sudden. I like that you did that on the third or fourth day and you, and you still did it. Yeah. I was real close to quitting real early. Yeah. Um, but I pulled through. Through. So what I want to know about like camping alone the yeah, first night, so though, I was, what's ca- that like? I'm like? camping alone and my knee is like, I can't bend it. So it was very scary. Um, just the, it just felt, because of the knee especially, it just felt very sort of lonesome. And I don't know, it just felt really uncertain about everything. And and where do you go to camp? Are you on a campsite or do you just go off so in, in the, the woods In the bit? east half of the country, it was a lot, it was mostly campsites. Okay. But then when I got west, there's just nothing. So that's when I would, that was my favorite part was like New Mexico, Arizona. You would just walk until the sun went down and I would um, put my tent up on the side of the road and camp there. Like so, behind a bush or something. So how, what, what, when was it by the time you made it to New Mexico? Uh, we're like in, um. We're in November, eight. maybe October, November. Oh, months. Like yeah, yeah. November was when I was in New Mexico. So you were in Delaware in April. Yeah. And in New Mexico in November. That's correct. Wow. Yeah. So months. Months. Yeah. Because I've driven through New Mexico in like August. It's beautiful. And it's it's it is it is beautiful, but it was like a hundred and fifteen degrees. Yeah. So this is um, I'm there in the winter. It's a really nice time to be there, actually. So it's really cold at night, but during the day it was beautiful. But there is so a at threat night of it was like freezing. wild animals out there too. Yeah. There's like coyotes and um, yeah. And you didn't experience snakes. any of that. No, not really. I saw a couple of crazy snakes. Uh, oh, I'm, my tent got eaten one time. That was by raccoons. While you were in it. Uh, yeah. And then, um, and one night there was a creepy night, probably the creepiest night was when, um, I was camping on the side of the road in New Mexico. And by this point I had kind of like, at the beginning, I was really particular about where I would camp on the side of the road. Cause I really didn't, obviously didn't want people to see me. It's just one road that you're going down that I'm walking down for weeks. So anyone could like follow me or like, you right. know, notice me if they're like driving back and forth from work or whatever. So anyways, but then the further I got along, I was just like, fuck it. You know, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, even like at first I would wait until it got dark before I'd put my tent up. But then I just started not caring as much. Anyhow, so I'm camped on the side of the road and it's kind of, I guess, near maybe someone's property because it's like a side road that goes off to like a cattle farm. And at like 3.30 in the morning, I wake up with headlights on my tent. Oh, no. And I just sit there and don't move. 
And they just stay on my tent for like five minutes while I'm just laying in the tent. It's totally still. And then it just, the car, the truck just drives away. And I, I just lay there. Like, I don't know who the person was. I'm assuming it was probably the the person that lived on the property. Maybe they were just checking me out or something. And then yeah. they're like, all right, we'll see if they're gone in the morning. But it was a little freaky. Yeah. So, all right. So, all right. So, but we're, we're, we're on day three and four. <laughs> Your knee is hurting. Yeah. You it's have bad. To, you decide you thinking maybe I'll quit. Yeah. What's it like the next morning when you wake up? You can't bend it at night. No, it's awful. It's just worse. So there was a lady who had she like helps hikers that start these kind of walks because a lot of people do start in Delaware, and she was like, "Hey, do you want me to come pick you up and you can just come like hang at our house for a few days to see if your knee gets better? Maybe we can take you to a doctor." So she came and picked me up, and I went to her house, and I just stayed on their couch for like a week, icing this okay. knee. And their family was really beautiful, and their son had just had open heart sur- his third open heart surgery, and he was like concerned about me. He was like, oh, "I really hope." Uh. <laughs> like he was home oh, yeah. from school, so it was just him and I hanging out. He's recovering from this massive heart surgery, and he's like, "I really hope your knee's getting better soon." You know? Yeah. He was like real worried about me not completing the yeah. walk. He was worried about being the victim again at home. He's like, "I <laughs> right. got to get her out of here. Yeah. I got to get the attention again." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so they were awesome. But the knee did not get any better. Like, I definitely had tendonitis, which is freaky because it not, might not necessarily go away. So that was the first ride that I took. I took a ride to D.C. because I had shows lined up there. And I was like, I'm going to go to D.C. I'm going to do these shows. And I'm going to see if I can get the knee better. So the lady, you stayed there for a week. Then she drove you to D.C. And yeah. then you did some shows. I did some shows. and uh, How are those shows? How was the shows? Like, well, you've been walking. Your knees hurt. Now you're like, all right, now i got to go do some comedy. Yeah. And it was, you know, you're trying to, like, tell these stories from the road. But right now it's just kind of sad and dramatic. Like, there definitely was no, like, joke Right. You seem them. like like a, like a almost a homeless person just telling drifter stories. <laughs> exactly. Right. You're, you're almost – it's almost a pitch to get money. Yeah, pretty much. People were like, are you actually a comedian or – So where were you – where did you do comedy at? Um, I did um, – uh, um, The Big Hunt? Yes, thank you. Okay. I did The Big Hunt. That was probably the most notable show. I, I don't remember yeah. the others. They were all like okay. bar shows. That's the one people talk about. Yeah, the, the big time. hunt. The big hunt. Yeah. yeah. So, and that one went pretty well. Yeah. Um, but definitely, you know, you're like, I mean, that was one of the impetuses to do the walk was like, oh, and this is going to create crazy material. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But then into it, you realize like, oh, these, this isn't, I'm still going to have to write a joke about this. Yeah, this is a real <laughs> thing that I'm living right now. Yeah. So, all right. So... Um. All right, so I know that there's a story that I've seen you do in stand up where you talk about it. Um, and I, um, how long did it take? Where did this happen? This was in Tennessee. Yeah, it was. I was just leaving Nashville. Uh, which Tennessee was a was a cool. So how far along? How long did it take you to get to Tennessee? Um, I think I'm like july at this point so you probably came through like virginia west virginia uh, yeah i did the allegheny passage in the cno canal which goes all the way from dc up to uh, pennsylvania and then i went over into ohio which that was like one of my favorite comedy spots was going to like akron cleveland kent and that area yeah. was really fun because those mountains there are really nice all of that so i love driving up through there yeah it's yeah. beautiful 
So then did you come down through East Tennessee or like from north of Ohio into Nashville? Yeah, just like uh, uh, almost directly. So you bypassed a lot of like deliverance territory. Exactly. And I did that. I didn't, that wasn't the plan originally, but then like the further I got into and the closer I got to in and out of West Virginia, I was like, I think I'm going to keep going up north here. Yeah. You know that Hannah is from Canada and her family took a trip down to Orlando when they were younger. And when they stopped in East Tennessee... Her mom was like, don't talk to anybody here. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because they thought, I mean, and they are weird. I yeah. like East Tennessee people a lot, but yeah. it, it can be weird if you're not from there. Totally. Yeah. So you bypassed I mean, I, all that. I would probably fit right in, really, but <laughs> just pushing this cart on the side of the road. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they might thought you had some cans in there. Yeah. Yeah. You're just recycling. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and I imagine you're pretty dirty. Yeah, you know, I stayed pretty clean, but I did address, like okay, I would um I wore really kind of big clothes and a lot of like reflectors like non flattering like, I did not look You're not yeah, out there in I didn't heels. Look cool, right, you know? right. I wasn't like hip hip hiker, you know. I right. was business. I was really about form and function. So and w- what did you do safety. for showering or like cleaning? Like I've been to the beach early in the morning and, and washed off in a bathroom, you know? Yeah, this happens. Like um, a public restroom out of a sink. But on the east half of the country, there was like, it was really easy to get from place to place, you know? Like you can get to a new town each day. And there were usually people that would like open up their houses, especially on the east half of the country. So okay. I stayed with a lot of different strangers. Okay. It's just through like couch surfing, stuff like that? Or just people that I'd randomly meet and then they might know a person in the next town. Or th- I went through Facebook. A lot of times comedians that I would meet along the way would know people in smaller okay. towns. All right. That's cool. Yeah. Social media really paying off. Totally. Definitely. Giving you some money to do it. So you you carrying a wallet? You got a phone? You're you're yeah. I got all that stuff. Did you um, ha- you had like a like a survivalist type charger that I've seen chargers that yeah that, that will charge in the sun and then yeah I had solar panels and like a big battery that would charge on my gear. So I was pretty charged up. Yeah. Um, and people would pull over and just give me money. They would pull over and give me gear, food. It was pretty crazy. Okay, so. What's some what's some crazy stuff that you ate? I mean, it was. I mean, I guess you had money, so there was oh, a, lot a lot of jerky. jerky. So it was never a time when you were like like starving and. No, well, I mean maybe, that's the thing. We're was, we're still you know we're we're still here. What about uh, a time where maybe you know you had money, but you were on a long stretch? Yeah. And, and was there ever a time where you like you just didn't have food or water, and you're like really needing to get to the next place? Uh, I definitely ran out of water a couple times, but I was usually like pretty good about rationing it, so I knew that I would be able to make it to the next spot. But I never ran out of food. It was like just typical like Cliff Bars, like North and- American shit, where it's like I you know carried an entire can of tuna across the country that I never ate. You know, it was oh, like yeah. okay, this is just like. So what about a restaurant that you ever find? Is there like a favorite restaurant that you went no, to? What, no, my favorite thing was just like the American diner. Like if there's one thing we can do in this country, it is diner yeah. breakfast food. And yeah. I would go and I would order like three breakfasts for myself and eat all of it because I was burning so many calories. Yeah. On this walk. But yeah, diners were great. That'd be my spot. Yeah. But it, but there's no nothing that really sticks out that you're like this was my favorite spot that I found or maybe it's been too long you, it fades. Yeah, I want to say I just think that like you can be in the most like remote area and that's just like chain restaurants and but they'll have that one 
diner spot, you know, with like the lady, the the little old ladies working there who are just like, God bless you, honey. And oh, like yeah. one young woman with a black eye who's like, you know, working real hard for the oh, kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, re- I went to a Waffle House once and the lady was like, she was like, hey. And I was like, how are you? She was like, well, I'm tired and I need a cigarette, but people keep coming in here. <laughs> Yeah, that vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so exactly, that was my favorite vibe. <laughs> so you are all right. So I really want to hear about the story that you tell on stage yeah. because I know that sometimes <laughs> I'll tell a story on stage. It's a real story, but things are changed. It's shortened right. to make yeah. to make it funny. But and and you can tell whichever version you want, and I won't know the difference. But well, okay. So I'm in Tennessee. I'm leaving Tennessee or leaving Nashville rather. And like I said, a lot of people I met was through social media. So. I guess this skydiving place like saw me on Facebook and they messaged me and they were like, Hey, we have a place you can stay and a plane that you can jump out of. Was this before or after the lady, uh, you said something, there was a lady that you saw. Yeah, that was, this was, this was during, so I'm walking to the town. I think when this is happening. Okay. Yeah. That this woman just like, I just hear a voice and she was like, you done been walking a long way. (laughs) I was like, And she just, like, presented, pushed this, like, glass in front of me that had some weird brown liquid. But I was so afraid not to drink it of, like, what would happen if I didn't drink it. And then, of course, it was sweet tea. I love it. Yeah, it was great. You, Yeah, you might be dehydrated. Here, have this sweet tea. Sweet tea. Yeah. Sure, it was delicious. Yeah, it was. It was great. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so this is, walking. like, so I'm walking there. Okay, so I don't know anything except for, like, there's this skydiving place. And then they put me in touch with another guy that, I guess, works at the skydiving place. That's all the information I have. So I text the guy, and he gives me his address. And so I make it to this small town. Um, I can't even freaking remember the name of the town right now, but it's not important. It's probably the only skydiving place, like, near Dixon, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Probably. Yeah, probably. Not a lot gonna, around Dixon. I'm going to throw this out there. That's yeah. probably the only skydiving I've place. I've been to Dixon. I worked at Lowe's selling pesticides down there. Dixon. Yeah, it's yeah. still further. It's a couple towns away. Yeah. But anywho, so... I make it to the town where this dude lives, and he kind of, like, the apartments that he lives in are pretty, pretty rundown, like, pretty questionable. Like, a lot of people hanging out. Like, I got lost at one point, and I definitely, like, there were a lot of people watching me, and I was just like, <laughs> okay. And uh, so I make it to his place. Yeah, probably wondering who this uh, person is come rolling in with <laughs> <Yeah>. their car. <laughs> yeah, I hope yeah. she doesn't have a baby it's, in there. <laughs> it's hard to act, like, nonchalant <laughs> right. with that, you know? Yeah. And I forgot, like, I really didn't, that did not occur to me, but when the prep and all the preparation and different kinds of preparation for the walk, it never occurred to me how people were going to perceive me, you know, like, I'm not, they're going to perceive me as a crazy person. Yeah, I keep just thinking of the movie, The Road. You ever see that? Uh -uh. That's where it's like, the world has ended and they just walk. Maybe I have seen this. Vigo Mortensen, whatever his name right. is. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible not to draw, like, a lot of attention to yourself, you know, which I'm, I'm sure is ultimately why I did the walk. I'm just like, I need more attention. Um, but we anyway, so I get to the um, – so I get to his apartment, and um, he, like – he has a room for me. I, like, put my – put all my gear up. He seems pretty chill, pretty cool. Um, and he asked if I wanted to smoke pot, and I was like, sure, yeah, that sounds great. Um, he was like, okay, well, we can't smoke here because this is government housing, so it's, like, against the rules. Oh. And I'm like, all right. So he's like, we're going to go for a drive. And then we go to get in his car, and he has, like, three of his windows are, like, plastic. Like, they've been busted out, and it's oh, just, yeah. like, plastic. But, you know, we, Classic. Don't, we don't talk about it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, let's just go for this drive. Yeah. So we start driving, and we start smoking this, like, very large blunt that he had rolled us. 
And then that's when he was like... Nothing like a pre-rolled blunt. Yeah. That you're not really sure what's in there. Yeah, you don't know what's in there. And as much as I enjoy weed, when you've been walking all day and then you're like with a complete stranger, like it's really hard not to get very paranoid and just like not have a good time. I can't even imagine. And I'm usually pretty chill, but this was like a li- this was a life lesson for me of just like, yeah, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, it was just so anxiety producing. So he was like, wow, I'm all anxious. And like in my head, he was like, hey, well, what, can, do you mind if we just go visit my brother really quick? And I'm just like, okay, like, sure, why not? Yeah. Let's do it. And that's when we start driving up this mountain. And I like I'm looking at my phone and realize that I don't have any cell service. Mm. And I'm just like, who? And I don't know this person. And I just start getting very paranoid, very little like freaked out. And we get to the top of this mountain and or like, you know, pretty big hill. I've got no cell service and we pull up and there's just this very overgrown plot of land with a kind of dilapidated barn. And there's just one guy sitting in a old, like rusted lawn chair, just looking out into the woods. Mm. And we just, (laughs) yeah, just a beautiful picture. Yeah. Yes. I can see it. (laughs) So he's just looking, you know, just staring, just staring into the woods and, like, at first, definitely when I got there, I thought he was looking at something, but there was just nothing there. Yeah, you definitely don't want to watch House of a Thousand Corpses before this is <laughs> yes, happening. Exactly. Yes, So he asked, so we get there, and he, like, introduces himself to me, and then he was, like, you know, asking if I had checked out the barn yet, and they were, like, really insistent about me going inside oh. of this barn. <laughs> And then I went in, and that's when I realized that they were there, they were distilling moonshine. So I was like, oh, okay, this makes more, a little more sense. Like, this is like some sort of, you know, sketchy situation up here where they're doing illegal things. Right. But feels a bit safer now, I imagine, yeah. because you're like, okay, you're doing an illegal thing, but <laughs> yeah, it's not kidnapping people. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's not yeah. human trafficking. It's yeah. just moonshine. Yeah. Um, a lot of moonshine. So many people gave me moonshine and, and jerky. Those were the, definitely the two biggest gifts on the road. But so that's when they asked me if I want to try this moonshine. And I'm just like, yeah, at this point, let's definitely do yeah, that. Yeah, need something to counteract the weed. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they're showing me around to other, I mean, it's just, it's a pretty huge barn. And there's a lot of different rooms. And I'm just trying to like stay chill. And then he takes me back into this like one room. And there's just like one of those big round beds from like 70s porn or something. Oh. Like that I've never seen in real life until yeah. this moment. And why is it in this barn? And, like, how did you get it? There were, like, so many questions about this bed. Like, how did you get it in here? And I don't know. It was, it was, that was the part that was just like, okay, getting more creepy. This is getting yes. more creepy. And then that's when um, this other guy just, like, appears. And he hands me this book. And it's full of all these dragons that he's been drawing. For was like this, a very long time. Was this the guy that was staring out at the woods? Or is no, this, this is a new guy. Okay. So there's right. other people in this yeah. barn. I don't know how many people. Yeah. You know? So he hands you a book that he's been drawing dragons. Yeah, he's, um, you know, one can only assume a dragon connoisseur of sorts. Yeah, he's into and, it. And uh, he was really excited to meet me. Like, that was the other, you know, I was in this moment, I'm like, I'm kind of scared of these guys, but they were just excited to meet me, you know? I'm like, cool. They thought it was cool. I was walking across America. But in that moment, you're like, do you think it's cool or are you going to murder me? Right. Yeah. I mean, there are people like that where it's like, they're very cool people, but you're, you're something could go down at any time. Right. Yes. So I'm just looking at these dragons and he's like really talking, talking with me and 
you're high, you're on moonshine in yeah. a weird barn looking at a book of dragons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Everything's going right. Yeah. Everything's going according to plan. Yes. Uh, on the roadmap of life. <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've been – and how long have you been walking at this point? Yeah, at this point, you know, like I guess like four months or something. Four months walking on the road. You're like, <laughs> this, yeah, this is supposed this to be is, happening. Yeah, yeah. just giving in to the unknown. Um, yeah, so then um, that's when this guy just went over <laughs> and like opened up this safe that he had and just started – pulled out some cocaine and started waiting out in front of me. How big of a safe? Uh, you know, like a – Like one that you like can – Like a mini fridge okay. style. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, and the thing that sticks out the most about when he did that is that, you know, he, he, he like, kind of pulled it out, and he went to, like, weigh it, and then he just kind of, like, glanced over at me, and he was like, I don't know why, but I just trust you. Oh. Yeah, I know. And now I'm telling the story on this podcast, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah. Good thing we couldn't remember the town. Yeah, yet. exactly. So this guy... Maybe it was Tennessee. Maybe it was another state. You know, it's probably another state. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that they trust you or they're about to murder you because... <laughs> yeah. I mean, now I know too much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What a... Yeah. So you get in a truck with no windows. <laughs> right. Smoke there a blunt. Was one, there was a window. There were a couple windows. Smoke a blunt. You drive up way up into a mountain <laughs> with no signal at a barn where a guy's just staring at nothing. Yeah. Now you have moonshine. Mm-hmm. Looking at a book of dragons, maybe sitting on the on the bed. Yep, I'm. I'm sitting on a round bed in the in the barn. A bed in a barn's yeah. never safe. <laughs> never good. And then a guy pulls out cocaine mm-hmm. out of a safe. Yeah. Says he trusts you. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, he offered me some cocaine, and I I just you know you just got to go with things at this point. Yeah, what are you going to do now? Why <laughs> I mean, say no at this point? That, that, we've come too far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I guess his brother was probably selling drugs for him because he, like, weighed out some stuff and, like, gave it to his brother. And then, like, we did a little bit of cocaine. And then and then he just, like, put the the drugs back in the safe. And then he was like, all right, do you want to go skydiving now? And then... Um, it just escalates. Yeah. The story just escalates and escalates. Yeah. Until it doesn't, which is when I jump out of a plane. But even so, when we were driving there, so then we're, like, coked up and driving to this skydiving place i'm assuming and then i was asking him on the way there i was like jokingly i was like you don't fly the plane and he was like no i pack the parachutes and he legit was like the parachute packer and i was like so how long have you been doing that he was like oh they trained me like four months ago and i was like well what does that entail is it like pretty hard to do and he's like no you just got to be really careful or else and i'm like or else someone will die and he was like yeah yeah, very nonchalant. Yeah, real very nonchalant. cool about it. So, yeah. which of the guys was this? Was this a new character, or was this? No, this is the 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 guy with the busted out windows. Okay, all right. Yeah, okay. And then I think that like a lot of skydivers are on cocaine because, which makes sense. They're like trying to recreate this adrenaline that they get when they right. jump out of an aircraft. Yeah, because when when cocaine's not not enough for you. Let's jump out of an airplane. Yeah. Or maybe the other way around. Exactly. I think that's it. Like, if you can't jump out of an airplane, you got to like Jumping out of an airplane, when that gets boring, mm-hmm. you're like, let's do drugs and mm-hmm. do it. Okay. So you, you're you in the plane. Yeah, man. That whole... Because um, I didn't... I wasn't like... I didn't want to go skydiving. It was like someone reached out to me. And so, I, like, at that point, you know, you just have to say yes. Yeah. So I mean, I'm there, like... So is this okay. like a crop duster plane? Like, that kind of thing? Or like... Yeah-ish. Okay. I guess. Smaller, smaller aircraft. One propeller. <laughs> I think it had 
We could have had two. Okay. I was just on a small plane. Oh, that's right. One propeller in the How front. How did that go? It was great. I mean, I made it. You made it. I made it there, made it back. I saw that. It was like a pretty, one of the days was stormy. I don't know if yeah. you were gone there or back. Yeah. It's fairly scary. <laughs> A little ice on the windshield. I was told that's very dangerous. Oh, gosh. Only after we landed. Thank goodness. And then the landing was a little, little yeah. shaky. Yeah. But it was fun. So I'm, just, so I'm just thinking about being in that plane and then wondering what it would be like if suddenly they were like, all right, we're opening the door and you're jumping out. Yeah. Luckily, it's like a tandem thing. You know, you're attached to someone else because I don't know if I would have been able to do it if someone else wasn't pulling me with them outside of the plane yeah but it was pretty fun yeah it was pretty great was this the guy that's that that you rode up with you in the no he doesn't skydive he just packs the parachute he doesn't trust it so that was another great (laughs) sign (laughs) okay he doesn't trust the parachutes (laughs) that he packs right so he had actually never been skydiving wow (laughs) yeah yeah okay so (laughs) so you what guy did you jump out with the guy that's like said i trust you no, no, oh. that the guy who I jumped out with wasn't the, at the barn. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's kind of comforting. Yeah, that was comforting. Yeah. yeah, he was legit. Yeah. Yeah, he was cool dude. All right, that's comforting. Yeah. They take you to a guy that knows what he's doing. Yeah, I think. Right. Yeah. I mean, they were probably all on drugs, but yeah. Yeah. They were at least like, let's not let him be seen doing drugs. Right. Okay. All right, so you jumped out of the airplane. Yeah. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Parachute came out. Yep. And then... I mean, what do you do from there? You parachute out of a plane, (laughs) and then you get your cart and walk on. Yeah, you got to keep walking. Next stop, Memphis. So I love that because it's like so much paranoia would be running through me. Yeah, even Uh, even without the marijuana paranoia, you know? I always think about this because Hannah does comedy, and she's traveling a bit too. So I always try to think about things from a woman's perspective. Like some of the places that I've been that I'm afraid in, Hannah also has been to. And I'm like, I'm afraid and probably no one around here wants to sleep with me. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. And if you're a if you're an attractive woman, even probably not even, you know, you don't probably don't even have to be that attractive. People want to uh, sleep with women. Yes. This is true. So that's an added paranoia mm-hmm. to all things. Yeah. So I I get very paranoid in situations like that, but I've been in them. I never skydive, but I've been in the situation like that. And then you get in the car or you walk away and you're fine. Right. And you're like, wow, all the paranoia, mm-hmm. now I'm fine. Yeah, I think, um, you know, maybe one one theory, you know, is like, well, if they want to sleep with me, then they'll probably keep me alive, you know? That's true. That's so, true. So that had that going for me. Yeah. You know? But I just like that feeling of the amount of things that can run through our minds. Yeah, that's kind of the whole thing of the walk, you know? It was like... When people were always asking me, and they still do, you know, were you scared? Well, yeah, there were definitely moments where I was scared, but isn't that life? Like, there are so many moments in our life where we're scared, whether it's like walking to our car late at night or whatever. Yeah. But most of the time, yeah, that stuff never happens, you know? And in fact, you're like way more likely to be murdered by Hannah than you are to be murdered by anybody else. Well, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, so... So you jump out of the plane, and then from there you head on to Memphis. And, yeah. And so I, I imagine you stayed with people in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Comics. Did you walk across the bridge next to the uh, pyramid, or did you get a? No, you can. Uh, can you? I feel like that might have been one of the bridges that you can't walk oh, okay. over or something. Okay, I don't know. Um, yeah. So I got to uh, Arkansas, which was 
by this point, very hot. Hot, yeah. hot, hot, hot. Oh, I bet so. Yeah, four months. So in, I'm like you're... in. I'm in like July, August, or something oh, yeah. in in Arkansas. It was. Memphis feels weirdly hot all the time. It feels yeah. like there's a weird just humidity. I think it's the it's, river. It's the energy. Yeah, it's, it's a, a weird energy. Hot energy. That whole any city on the Mississippi River has a weird energy to me. There's something lurking in the river. Yeah. 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 It was. There was a cool. I don't know. There were so many beautiful scenic parts of the country and that was definitely even though the heat was a bit oppressive it was i don't know it was very beautiful so any is there any other like interesting people that you met that you'd like to talk about they they even nicer you know it doesn't have to be scary or just yeah you know i met um like one of my other stories i like a lot is uh when i was in texas i was about to have to walk on the major freeway and that i had walked on highways before but not on like the major freeway. Yeah. And this was just the only road because you just got to this like part of Texas where there's no other roads. So I had all this anxiety leading up that I was about to have to walk on this freeway. And it was only for like a dozen miles or something, but the speed limit in Texas was like 80 miles an hour. So it's like, however fast you want to go, basically it's Texas. Like, do they have, is it even a limit? Probably not. I've driven through Texas and I enjoy it quite a bit because you you get to go pretty fast. Yeah. You're just, there's no rules. Texas, yeah, I love you know? it. Don't tread on me. Right, exactly. Um, so I'm pretty paranoid about doing that. I mean, I guess that's not paranoia. That's just regular old fear. Um, yeah, I don't think it's paranoia when there's legitimate concern. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I get to, right before I'm about to get on the freeway, I, I like one more time, I just kind of go to the end of the dirt road, like the road that I was on, which turns to dirt. And I'm like, okay, there's no path. And I turn back around, and I'm about to push my cart onto the freeway, and then I see this dust out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, there's like a motorcycle-y scooter kind of thing, and it rolls up to me, and there's a guy on this scooter, and he has a cart attached to the back of it, and there's a dog inside with a bunch of gear, and there's a sign that says, Walking with Jesse. Wow. And I was like, hey. And he was like, hey. I was like, "Uh, I'm walking across America. And he was like, I was walking across America. Um, someone gave me this scooter. <laughs> now wow. I am scooting across America. And his name is Jesse. My name is Jessica. He was also going to, like, he was going to see if there was any other road, but there wasn't. So he was also about to have to go onto the freeway. And we just, like, met each other. I mean, we were in the middle of, we were, like, 100 miles from the nearest, like, major city. And we just met each other on the side of the highway. Wow. Jesse walking and Jessica. with Jesse. Yeah. That's I, amazing. Walking with Jesse, a sign on the... And then we uh, we walked for a bit on the freeway, and then we actually attached my cart to the back of his scooter, and we, like, scooted to the next town, and we got Dairy Queen, and we shared a hotel room for the night, which was, for both of us, we hadn't slept in a hotel in, like, a week, so it was like, awesome. Yeah. And now we're still friends. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So, all right, so... And, like, serendipitous things like that would happen so often, and it would always be when I was just kind of giving in to not knowing what was going to happen. Like the part was just like giving in. It's like, okay, I'm going to have to walk on the freeway now. And then like something crazy would happen to just help, help me through the experience. So what about, I don't know. Um, I never really have any messages or make any points, but, uh, is there, (laughs) uh, I mean, if you had, I don't know, what's something that you think you learned from this that you could share with people? Yeah. I think one of the big themes comes back to that fear, you know, and, um, yeah, we could find a gazillion things to be scared of. 
in life. Um, but I think that we shouldn't let that stop us from doing cool shit, you know? Yeah. So I just had an idea and started making a plan and then it, you know, came to fruition and then I did it. And I think that we all have ideas like that. And I think we just have to, you know, make those first steps and give in to the unknown. So how long did the whole thing take? Nine months. Nine months. So nine months you walked and on the third day you <laughs> hurt your knee. Yeah. I love that. The third day, it would have been so easy to be like, well, I was going to do it, but I, I got tendonitis and I didn't want to, I couldn't do it. Yeah. You know what? In all those little side trips also, there were those moments where it was like, is this giving up? Is this giving up? But that was another part that I think the biggest lessons that I learned on the walk was the part where I, you know, I didn't give up. I just kept going and it wasn't perfect. You know, it wasn't completely how I had envisioned it going and perfect from beginning to end, but I kept pushing through and I kept going. Yeah. And that's all part of the adventure. Exactly. Right. If you're just walking and people are like, come have this adventure with me. And you're like, oh no, I have to keep walking because then you're, then you miss a lot. Totally. Like what's the point if you don't have the adventures? Exactly. Yeah. And all right. So, oh, we talked about this and then, uh, we have uh, – you talked about getting onto shows. We talked about how, uh, you know, uh, before, like how you got on shows. Yeah. I mean, originally – so the whole thought was like I'm going to kind of plan this tour and I will – the walk will coincide with these shows. But it, as soon as I hurt my knee, you know, that was like the first right. time so. where I was like, oh, well, I don't really know what's going to happen on the right. road. So I would kind of like, as I would get closer to um, a small city or town, I would just find out what was going on in the comedy scene and just like hit up comics and do as many local shows as I could. And that's what would usually happen. I would end up hanging out for like a week or week and a half yeah. with the local comics. And it was a really fun way to get to know like these smaller scenes. I had so much fun in yes. like Memphis and... Uh, Tulsa and Oklahoma City and Little Rock. It was like all those towns were so fun. I've been to all those towns to do comedy, and it is fun. Yeah. What did you do in Tulsa? Do you remember? Did you do the uh, the Sound Pony? Uh, I don't think I did the Sound Pony. I always ask people that. I like that. <laughs> I had a, a lot of fun there. Um, I forget the name of the. Uh, is it like a, a Looney something? Oh, Looney Bin. Yeah, is Looney Bin there? Yeah. All three of those cities have that. Um. Yeah, I just Tulsa was like way more hip than I had yes, realized yeah, it's very it hip, is. Yeah. So the the people I stayed with there also were just like really cool and yeah that's what the sound pony was like way like very hip and I was in there very self conscious because I was in there early I don't drink so I'm hanging out in this super hip bar I don't know anyone and now I'm about to do comedy in yeah there. and then the comedy though they loved it so the whole vibe just turned mm. and it was great I loved it I did a um, they have like a mic there a weekly mic that's outside and it's like this. Hip-hop spoken word, Mike, but also some of the people I was saying with are like, yeah, and then sometimes people do comedy. So it's this outdoor kind of like jazz band. It's oh, like a... I think that's right next to okay. Sound Pony. It was so... Yeah. It was super fun. It was just like this 12-piece band who like at one point started playing music behind my stand-up and then oh, I did wow. some like haiku poetry about walking and... That's awesome. pretty great. That's awesome. Yeah, Tulsa was yeah way more... All of those freaking towns were way more hip than I thought they were. Yeah. All right, and then what about... All right, this is the last thing that I th – but what what about other than the raccoons? Did you have any encounters with animals out there? Because 
I used to bike ride a lot as kids. We would bike ride. My dad lives way on the country. We'd bike ride down dirt roads. Packs of dogs would mm-hmm. just come at us all the time. I did get some dog friends from here, you know, especially, actually, Tennessee was probably the biggest one. Just like a dog would start walking with you and then just walk oh, with yeah? me for like 10 miles. And you're like, whose dog is this? And then they would just kind of turn around and I assume find their way back home. Wow. So there were a lot of dogs. Um but really, no. Like, I saw, like, a rattlesnake one time, which was, like, cool. Uh, and I had to get a huge spider out of my tent one time, which was also very, like, rewarding. Because as soon as I saw it, I freaked out and, like, hopped out of the tent. And then I was like, hey, okay, there's no one else here that's going to be able to do this right. for me. And it was a pretty freaking big spider. And I had to, like, lure it out of the tent. And then uh, I saved its life. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's nice. Set it free. All right. So this, if people want to follow Jessica, it's uh, at a Jessica Watkins. Correct. Not Jessica Wilkins. No. Nope. Uh, I saw her, <laughs> Not her name on a poster with. the other day, <laughs> Jessica Wilkins. But it is a, the letter A, Jessica Watkins. And then JessicaWatkinsComedy.com? Yep. Yeah. So I was filming all along the way. Okay. And when I got back, I recorded a special in Nashville telling some of these stories and, and kind of telling the story of the walk. And that's used as a, the narrative through the documentary that I completed with this footage, which the, I just uh, finished. And the documentary is called Specialish. Yes. So when, when will that? Well, it's uh, being submitted to a bunch of festivals right now. So on, on most of the cities that we just talked about. So we'll see what happens. So it'll be like on the festival c- circuit and then it'll okay. be available but then, online. Then they can find out that info on the website. Yeah. JessicaWatkinsComedy.com. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for having me. All right. Me. And this is the word. We're word. having fun. Yes. We're having a good time. We're having a good time. We're having a good She said that uh, if she wasn't having a good time, she would let people know. Mm-hmm. So, I, was, I had a great time. All right. Good. And uh, thanks for coming and doing this. Thanks for having me. All right. <laughs>